Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. In the court of law, a witness is somebody who sees an event in becomes the evidence of proof that that actual event actually took place. We would call that individual an eyewitness, and they may be called to testify in the court of law. Someone who has a personal knowledge of what happened can testify before others that such and such took place on such and such time and date. It's funny, though, how Hollywood depicts this. And we've all seen it, whether on TV or in movies. It's always place your right hand on the Bible or your left hand, I forget what it is, and raise the other hand, and then you, you swear on the Bible that what you're about ready to say is the truth. Actually, that's not really a legality. That doesn't have to happen. That's not something that's necessary. But it's interesting to me, though, that deep down, it's like the world knows that the Bible's true. Now, this didn't start recently. In fact, we've actually gone away from it more and more over time. But let me give you an example from the UK. See, for centuries, magistrates and and those who dispense justice in England and Wales are relied on the Bible to force people into telling the truth. That's actually where some of that started and kind of carried over for us here. As it pertained to the Bible, it's the moral force of the Bible that they thought would actually put somebody in a position to where they would tell the truth. The eyewitness of the account would be forced to tell the truth because they swore on the Bible that this is true. But where does this really come from? Does the world actually know that the Bible is true? Or is it that the world just denies that the Bible is true? See, I think as we... Look at the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. I think it's important for us to understand that actually the world denies the truth of the Bible. Because everything I'm about ready to say from here on until we end this morning is based upon what we find in the Bible as evidence. Eyewitness evidence of what took place. And what is it that we're referring to? Well, we're referring to the resurrection. In fact, one eyewitness that we're going to be looking at this morning was an unlikely candidate to even be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. But after all, doesn't that resonate with all of us? Can't we all relate to that truth? Because I'm looking at a bunch of uncommon witnesses to the truth of the gospel, and I hope that you're looking at an uncommon witness to the truth of what God's Word has for us. So let's move on to the title of our sermon this morning. Speaking of these witnesses, our title is that, An Unlikely Witness to the Resurrection. An Unlikely Witness to the Resurrection. This morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, specifically looking at verses 1 through 11. We're going to hear from the account of an unlikely witness, but not just one witness, because in our account this morning there are more than one witness to the resurrection mentioned, but it is told through the lens or the perspective of an unlikely witness. However, 
We must remember that this pertains to us here on Resurrection Sunday because we're going to hear the testimony that He is risen. That's what it's all about. The truth, what the world denies, we know is truth because of what God's Word says for us right here. So without any more being said, let's go ahead and get into this text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preached to you which you received in which you stand. And by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was or I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Amen. I believe when we look at these verses this morning, we could simplify them with this one sentence. And that sentence would state this. Eyewitnesses to the resurrection testify to God's grace. Eyewitnesses to the resurrection testify to God's grace. Because it's quite clear, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. This is his penmanship. And what is he saying? All that it is that I have done has been through God's grace. For it is by grace I'm able to achieve what I've achieved. So therefore, we can easily say, eyewitnesses to the resurrection testify to God's grace. When you look at this cross, you should notice something significant. And you should notice something significant because of what we know about the tomb. What is it that we know about the tomb, the reason why we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus this morning? See, we know that the tomb had that big boulder rolled to the side. We know that there was no Jesus to be found. So then my question would be, when I look at these crosses, I would say, it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that if Jesus was resurrected, that these crosses, or the main cross, the one that's in the center, would be empty. It is very important for us to understand that the cross must remain empty. We should never see Jesus upon the cross because He has been raised from the dead. When we see Jesus upon a cross, we're living in the past. But because the tomb was empty, because we see an empty cross that gives us hope of a future because of the resurrection, 
What does it tell us this morning? That He was raised on the third day. He was raised on the third day, as Paul says, in accordance to the Scriptures. And this is precisely the reminder that we get in verses 1 through 4. We all need reminders, don't we? Or we all need a reminder. The same is true about the Gospel. We need to be reminding ourselves daily about the Gospel. I don't know about you, but I can't go to Publix without a list. Now, I can act like I don't need a list, but then the minute I get home, I realize I needed a list. You guys can relate with that. Very often, I just ask Hope, just text me what you need. Because I've been burned. I've burned myself in the past. We need reminders. How easily we forget that we're hell-deserving sinners. How often do we forget that? We need, to, we need to be reminding ourselves that we actually deserve hell. But it's through the person and work of Jesus Christ that we have hope of a future. That's God's grace. That's the grace in which we testify to so others can see. Brothers and sisters, the gospel which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The past, present, and future work of Jesus. We are being saved. It's interesting. Paul says, by which you stand. That's a firm foundation to stand upon. My foundation, my little kingdom is shaky. My little kingdom's questionable. My little kingdom won't last and neither will yours. Paul is writing to those who believe. He's writing to believers. He's preaching as a dying man to dying men. We're all dying. This is life. God's grace leads to life. Interestingly, he writes, hold fast to the word I preach to you. Hmm. I would say to that, grip God's grace and let go of cultural Christianity. We need to be gripping God's grace and letting go of what culture says Christianity ought to be. Grip God's holiness and forget what the world tries to peddle you about love. Because God is holy, He did what He did upon the cross. The world's definition, what culture tells us, that would never happen. In fact, we'd be what would it be called? Something along the lines of cosmological child abuse of what God did to Christ upon the cross? The punishment that He received for our sin? That's what the world would say. A loving God would never do that. What Jesus did for us upon the cross is greater than what we can actually comprehend. That's why we need the reminder because sometimes it's easy to forget when it's something so huge and so powerful 
that it almost overwhelms you when you try to process what it is. And then you get a culture that tries to and then turns things into what it turns things into. The cross represents much more. The cross represents life. Grip God's grace and let go of the cultural Christianity that we're being bombarded with. I was shared an article this morning from the New York Times from one of you here sent it to me via text and was talking about, let's forget about God. That's what the world wants us to do. In fact, this article said, in this time of war and oppression and violence, let's forget about God. I got a news flash for the individual who wrote that article. There's always been war. There's always been oppression. There's always been violence. And it was the violence of God upon Jesus that conquered sin. God crushed Christ so we could have life. Jesus defeated death. We didn't. That's why our kingdoms that we try to build in our lives are shaky and questionable at best. Brothers and sisters, those truly saved, those who Paul's actually writing to, those believers, those who are truly saved, will persevere. That's right. If you have saving faith, in Jesus, you will persevere. It's actually called the perseverance of the saints. And what that means is, is this. It's, it's really quite simple. It's to continually aim for holiness no matter what. That's all it is. When you're saved, it doesn't mean that you're sinless. It means you know that you're sinful. When you're saved, you know that your aim is to continually to pursue the holiness of Christ. That's what perseverance of the saints is. And that completion will not happen this side of heaven. But upon our death, we will be in a holy, perfect state. And up until this point, Paul had only preached the death of Jesus. That's all he's talked about up until this point. But what does he say? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Again, he's going to Scripture to talk about what Jesus did. He's not just making this up. Because he knows God's Word is truth. So he quotes Isaiah 53.5. Allow me to read this for you. But he was pierced, Jesus... He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Some 600 years before Jesus went to the cross, Isaiah, the prophet, wrote this. The world doesn't want to hear that. The world wants to preach love, but it's an artificial love. It's superficial in nature. It doesn't get to the root of the problem. Now, God is love, but because He is first and foremost holy, His love has to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem for all of us is sin. Sin is what needs to be rooted out that's why believers will persevere because as we aim to be holy, even though we sin along the way, God is doing a work in us. We are becoming more mature in Christ. And if you ask most people what the gospel is, if you just 
went out on the streets and asked them, hey, what is the gospel? They'd probably tell you that Jesus lived and died. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins. But it stops right there. Then you would probably have to have a follow-up question and be like, what does that even mean? No, he didn't just die for my sins. He was buried, as it says, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Again, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. It was God's will to crush Jesus. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring. He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Brothers and sisters, this is why the cross is empty. This is why the tomb was empty. It's like Pastor Jared said this week. We were discussing Resurrection Sunday. And he said, it wouldn't make sense to show up on Resurrection Sunday and still see Jesus upon the cross. But we all have loved ones who are showing up to churches on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is resurrected, but yet Jesus is still on the cross. Tell me, does that make any sense to you? That makes absolutely no sense to me. His resurrection has profound implications for His church. If we just go through and read the rest of chapter 15... It's all about us receiving resurrected bodies. If we have saving faith in Jesus, we receive resurrected bodies like His perfect, holy body. God wants to be in a relationship with us. But right now we're in our sin suits. That's right. Some people would say you were born into your birthday suit. We should understand differently. Our birthday suit is really our sin suit. We were born rebellious. But the resurrection of Jesus and our faith in His resurrection means one day when Christ returns, we will be resurrected as well. We will receive perfect bodies. And the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians lies that out in detail for us. So I would encourage you, if you do have time this week, read the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through the end. And you will see exactly that. That we receive perfect, holy, resurrected bodies. Because after all, Jesus is resurrected. Our faith in His resurrection means we will be resurrected too. And with saying that, let's go ahead and put it into this simple sentence for these first Four verses, and that sentence states this Believers in the resurrection will one day be resurrected. That's why we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday this morning. Because Jesus was resurrected, we will be resurrected. Believers in the resurrection will one day be resurrected. Again, our main sentence defining all these verses this morning stated, Eyewitnesses to the resurrection testify to God's grace. 
I want to check out this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. First and foremost, God didn't go back and change the beginning. It wasn't like God created in seven days and then the fall happens in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters God's creation. It wasn't like God said, you know what, let me go back and redo things. Let me, let me, let me just, you know, start over again. And the reason why that has profound implications is because God created then, knowing that sin was going to happen, therefore meaning God still chose to create. But what's even more profound is that He still chose to create knowing that He was going to have to go to the cross. God knew about the cross before He ever spoke anything into existence. Secondly, according to the Gospel, where we start is where we'll end. That's true of life. A lot of times, where you start is where you end. So as believers, we start with God's grace and we end with God's grace that's only made possible through the resurrection of Christ. And we see Paul reminding us of this in our last set of verses this morning. First, Ray Steadman asks a question. I want to just read the question that he asks. Steadman asks this, Did Jesus Christ actually, literally, and physically rise from the dead? Not only did Jesus actually and physically rise from the dead, but he also appeared too. Beginning with Cephas, then the twelve, then more than 500 brothers, then he appeared to James. They saw Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus. 1 John 1, 1, I'll read this for you. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. They recognized Jesus, namely because they knew him, but they recognized Jesus because of the marks on his hands and feet. Jesus will forever carry the scars of his resurrection as an eternal reminder. What that means for us, one day when we're resurrected, we'll see the scars on Jesus too. Because we can't forget, Jesus was sacrificed as a perfect living sacrifice. He doesn't need a new resurrected body. Us, on the other hand, we were born into that sin suit. 
though we are believers, though we are persevering, we're still sinful. Which means this body has been tarnished. And God's going to give us a new resurrected body that hasn't been. So He can be in an everlasting relationship with us. Verses 8-11 through starts off by saying, last of all, Jesus appeared to Paul. He's our eyewitness testimony to one of the most, which is one of the most reliable forms of evidence in the court of law. That's right. Eyewitness testimony is one of the most reliable forms of evidence in the court of law. And the Apostle Paul right here is starting off by saying, last of all, I'm the eyewitness. See, Paul equated his being born again, as he states here. What does he say? He says, an untimely birth. In verse 8, an untimely birth. Church, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about this lightly. I don't want to avoid it either. But I, I'm going to have to talk about this. And I'm going to warn you before I do talk about this. It's a very sensitive subject because I can guarantee you every person in this room has been affected by this. Some way, shape, or form. Okay? So just, just be mindful of that. Where it says untimely birth, in the original Greek, if you do a word study on this word, it really pertains to a female who's lost her child due to violence done upon her. She miscarried the baby because of a violent act that happened to her. Church, this is an abortion. Paul's equating his being born again as almost an abortion, his untimely birth. And the reason why he's doing this is because he understands what he did to God's church. He understands that he persecuted God's church. He understands that because of his work that he did before he was saved, Saul, our, his, Christian brothers be put to death because of their faith in Jesus. I just would like to remind you that these aren't new issues that we're dealing with. When you, when you see God's word go that deep, and sometimes you think that this is only cultural for the day, it's not. That's why I want to encourage you once again to grip God's grace and let go of cultural Christianity because cultural Christianity doesn't get to the root of the issue. Only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus does because he's holy. He only came to a saving faith after having persecuted the church, and that's the reason why we're calling Paul the unlikely witness to the resurrection. In his day and his time, I'm pretty sure most people who knew him from his former life would have said, no way. Jesus will never appear to Paul. Paul would never be an eyewitness to his appearing after his resurrection as proof, as proof that Jesus has raised from the dead. See, if that's true about the Apostle Paul, what does that mean for us? What does that mean about you? 
If somebody like the Apostle Paul can be used by the Lord, if somebody like the Apostle Paul can come to a saving faith in Jesus, don't have a pity party for yourself. Grip God's grace. Brothers and sisters, that's an encouragement for us because we too are unlikely witnesses. Not to the resurrection. Not to the resurrection like Paul. But we are to God's grace. We are witnesses. And because we know these truths, we can be an eyewitness to the world of God's grace. That's an amazing privilege. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul says. Again, where you start is where you end. Paul's learned at this point He's going to start with grace. He's going to end with grace. If we are to be unlikely witnesses to God's grace then, then we must remember that someone else is witnessing our testimony. And we all have those networks in our lives where people have an opportunity to witness the grace of God in our lives. You know, that's someone who needs to be reminded of what we saw C.S. Lewis write. He said, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. I mean, because of what Jesus has done, because of his resurrection, we have a future. Again, we've said this before, we'll say it again. When somebody, even yourself, but mainly it's coming through our adversary, when our adversary reminds you of your past, Just remind him of his future. He doesn't believe in the power of the resurrection. Therefore, he doesn't have a future. We believe in the power of the resurrection. Therefore, we know that we have a future. We know that one day we get to put this sin suit off for good and receive a new resurrected body that is perfectly tailored to be in a relationship with our Lord and Savior. So as Joe comes up and we close this morning, our ending and your ending too ends in the resurrection from the dead. Jesus put an end to the ultimate consequence of sin, and that is death. We don't have to be fearful of death because of the resurrection of Christ. Because our God did not go back and change the beginning. What if God would have gone back and changed the beginning? That means there would have never been a cross. There would have never been a resurrection. The resurrection of Christ has been planned since the beginning. This is the gospel we preach This is the gospel we believe. Church, this is the gospel that you can preach to others because you know the truth of the Bible. And because you know the truth of the Bible, you know that you can preach God's grace. You can be an eyewitness to God's grace because Paul, the 500, the apostles were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. Without a resurrection, there is absolutely 
no hope of a future. And what we would like to say as we wrap up, we would probably say it like this. Jesus appeared to eyewitnesses as evidence of his resurrection. Jesus appeared to eyewitnesses as evidence of his resurrection. Again, we stated that believers in the resurrection will one day be resurrected. And finally, summing all of these verses, all 11 into one sentence, we would say this. Eyewitnesses to the resurrection testify to God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your continued work in saving us. Lord, use us as witnesses to your grace. Help us be reminded of your truth, of your resurrection and what that means for us as we now have access to you through grace. We're thankful for the truth that we find in your word. And I pray that we can be used to share this with others so they can come to a saving faith in you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name who makes this possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com. Dot com.